Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Return to the Realm, a rereader's podcast for the Realm of the Elderling series by Robin Hobb. Um, so I'm Caillou and I've got Alex and Leah with me. Um, and this is going to be our first episode of Royal Assassin. I'm Woo-hoo! super hyped to start uh, the second book in the series. Um, but also, since first episode of a new book does have potential for new listeners, just a quick warning that because this is a rereader's podcast, we will be having uh, spoilers for all 16 books in the Realm of the Elderling series. So if you haven't read those or um, like actually or like or if you care about reading those at all, definitely read them, then come back and watch us. Otherwise, glad to have you. Um, yeah, so today's episode is going to be the prologue through chapter four of Royal Assassin. Um, and so I guess I can just start off by, uh, or does anyone else want to start off by reading the little intro blurb here from the prologue? I think you can start us off. Okay, cool. I was like, I'm already talking a lot in the intro, so I didn't want to like also monopolize that, but sure, let's go. Um, <laughs> we'll take turns next time. So yeah, the prologue has a return to uh, future Tawny Man Fitz reminiscing. Um, why is it forbidden to write down specific knowledge of the magics? Perhaps because we all fear that such knowledge would fall into the hands of one not worthy to use it. Certainly, there has always been a system of apprenticeship to ensure that specific knowledge of magic is passed only to those trained and judged worthy of such knowledge. While this seems a laudable attempt to protect us from the unworthy practitioners of arcane lore, it ignores the fact that the magics are not derived from this specific knowledge. The predilection for a certain type of magic is either inborn or lacking. For instance, the ability for the magics known as a skill is tied closely to the blood relationship to the royal Farseer line, though it may also occur as a wild strain among folk whose ancestors came from both the inland tribes and the out-islanders. One train in the skill is able to reach out to another's mind, no matter how distant they can know what he is thinking. Those who are strongly skilled can influence that thinking, or have, or have converse, that's a, have converse, I've never heard that phrase, for sure, with that person. For the conducting of a battle or the gathering of information is the most useful tool. Folklore tells of an even older magic, much despised now, known as the wit. Few will admit a talent for this magic, hence it is always said to be the province of folk in the next valley, or ones who live on the other side of the far ridge. I suspect it was once the natural magic of those who lived on the land as hunters rather than as settled folk, magic for those who felt kinship with the wild beasts of the wood. The wit, it is said, gave one the ability to speak the tongues of beasts. It's also one that those who practiced the wit too long or too well became whatever beast they had bonded to. But this may only be legend. And then it goes on to talk about the hedge magics, which we can also talk about. But yeah, there's this constant theme of, like, Fitz's two magics warring against each other. Um, or maybe not warring against each other, but, like, kind of being an anomaly to have both of these uh, skills in one. And I think it's kind of interesting that, like, I feel like this could very easily, like, slip into, like, like a sort of, like, hyperbolic, like, Mary Sue-style character where it's like... I, it's like, Fitz, why does your bloodline let you have two magics? But Hob balances the idea that magics are as much, like, a curse as they are, like, a power, and that they give, they, like, offer you a lot of, like, a different perspective or way of interacting with the world, but also that uh, having that perspective can also be limiting in, like, just when the demands it makes of you, like, physically or mentally, and also how it, like, changes how you interact with other people. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Also, the one line that, like, really stuck out to me there was how Fitz was talking about like 
how people have like inborn predilection for the skill or the wit. But later on in this very section, one of the chapter intros talks about how like everyone has like a little bit of the skill or the wit. So it's kind of like this thing of almost like self-contradictory there. Even though there's like there's a thing of like degrees of skill or I guess degrees of aptitude using skill in that context is confusing. But yeah. I thought it was interesting that they mention or Fitz mentions that the wit is older than the skill. I wonder if that's actually true or if that's just what Fitz thinks. It might just be that like because we know that the the skill is sort of like comes from the out islanders, right? So maybe that there's just like recorded lore in like the six duchies of the wit being older than the skill because they didn't have the skill until Taker came. Yeah, the skill doesn't show up till like six duchies blood and out islander blood mixed together. So, could be that they didn't that they had wit before that. I always wonder how the wit factors in with the dragons, because the skill seems to be like some type of elderling. Um bloodline gene but the wit kind of just crops up wherever i wonder if it has any relation to the dragons or if it's like completely separate magic well i know in one of the intros i don't think it was that one but where they talk specifically about the wit it said that like i think fitz theorized that it came from like the hunters who like mm-hmm. needed that bond with the animals to kind of find them and hunt them so maybe it came from that and then the skill definitely came from i think that the dragons probably like because they're so strong in the skill they just kind of like forced it on everyone and then the elderlings started to develop like that affinity for it yeah yeah and it's like it's interesting how like the skill is kind of framed as like this like at the start like this human magic while wit is like this nature magic but like arguably the skill is like also like because we're because like there's this thing hammered in of like dragons are also of nature right so the perspective on that shifts as the series goes on well and also the way that some people view dragons are as like beasts so it could also like the skill could also be considered beast magic a little bit too if we're going that far Mm -hmm. But talking about dragons, I love that the intro to the prologue talks about dragons and elderlings and the others as if they're like legends. Because I mean, at this point in time, like in Fitz's world, they are, but very quickly they stop being legend and they become reality. Real. Yeah. Yeah. There's a line in here. What we take for granted now, the knowing of these things, may be a wonder and a mystery someday to our descendants. And I feel like that applies to like so much in these in this series, but like particularly like dragons and the skill, where it's like it was just such common knowledge, and then because of like I think like a common theme and like at least the start of this book is like what is like the responsibility to like record knowledge and how can knowledge degrade in spite of trying to record record it? Like that's pretty much like fifth old rumination. Yeah. Yeah, and you also find out. I mean, you, I don't think you really find this out until 
brain wild and fits in the fool, but part of that loss of knowledge isn't just like poor record keeping and whatever. Part of it is deliberate by the Claris people. Yeah. So it's like a mixture of like ignorance and time passing and then also yeah. like evil intention. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think it's interesting because like Fitz talks about like the use of knowledge for evil and worrying about like if recording information will like facilitate that. But the fact that like it, like the, the, the people we're meant to see as like the big bad end up like their goal is like the destruction of information as well kind of points to the fact that knowledge in general is just like it's it's like things that you build up and that you use and even if there are people who would use it for Ill, Ill intention that's not a thing that you can stop you just have to like assume good faith and for the next generations kind of thing at least that's how i took it i don't know well and knowledge oh sorry go ahead, oh, go ahead. you go first <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say the loss of knowledge um also, these books kind of highlights that it can be pretty deadly because if they would have had the information that they have by Fitz and the Fool or even Tawny Man in this series, um, they could have very easily destroyed the Red Ships without losing, like, so many important people and, like, at such risk to themselves because they don't have any of that they're just like fumbling around in the dark and making bad dis- mistakes mm-hmm. I was thinking like the importance of knowledge can even be seen in, in like Assassin's Apprentice when Galen uses that because Fitz says that he was bribed with knowledge or with like the promise of knowledge yep Mm-hmm. especially because yeah and there it's like coming back around to like the skill knowledge because it's become scarce like there's this kind of like aspirational Superiority. quality to it yeah 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 mm-hmm. oh yeah and also uh, I guess coming back around to the Elderlings, Dragons, whatever being like fantastical I also it's interesting to me because like when Fitz is talking about the hedge magics he's like yeah they sound like the province of stories or whatever but as we go into Tawny Man, they, we find out that, like, the hedge magics are kind of, like, the most grounded or, like, the ones, the type of magic that, like, the common person interacts with the most through, like, stuff like charms and whatever. Um, and so it's interesting to see that disconnect with Fitz, because Fitz is like, well, I have these magics, so obviously they exist. This other stuff, eh, you know, take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, everyone else is like, what the fuck are you talking about, Fitz? And doesn't something happen, like, in within the section that we read about like the hedge magics there was something like mentioned in it i thought i don't remember i thought oh it's molly when she was talking about um like her childhood and she wanted to like get her fortune read by some like hedge wizard and she didn't have enough money but like he was like crystal gazing or something like that to like mm-hmm. tell people's futures. It was like so even now I feel like we see it a little bit 
with the more common folk. And maybe that's why it's not made its way up to royalty because they have other better magic. Mm-hmm. And probably why it's not dangerous to use like the wit. Yeah, because it's, it, it's probably not as powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, not as powerful. Yeah, and, and like even like even beyond like the kind of arrogance of royalty, with, uh, it's, I think it's also like the factor like we have like that like that circle of like magics that they describe uh, later on, where it's like that's like way off in like Tawny Man, I think, but they talk about how um, most people like you can use like adjacent magics in the circle or whatever, but generally, your most people are only supposed to use one. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I'm I. I don't remember the specifics. I of that, do but I think remember there's like that. Something like that. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's like the first part is like Fitz's rumination. The second part of the prologue is Fitz, uh, kind of coming to terms with what he's going to do in the wake of the events of uh, of the climax of Assassin's Apprentice. Um, he is essentially uh, crippled by. Uh, on, like random and unexpected seizures um and the winter is arriving very quickly and a decision has to be made on whether they're going to stay go back to Buckheap, go somewhere else and so Burge is kind of just like what are we going to do and Fitz is like leave me I don't have any future for me left in Buckheap. um so yeah is there anything because did you guys want to talk about in this section or something? Yeah. I thought it was interesting that he there's a line that Fitz says where he says, I don't want to live like an old man. Um, because he thinks he's like crippled and useless. Um, and that reading that struck a chord because I like most recently read the first two books of Fitz and the Fool, and that's literally all he wants in those books. Like he hates that he's not aging <laughs> along with Molly. He just wants to like sit on his homestead with his child and like age and have a be like normal life so it's super contradictory like the things he wants in this book versus the the final book well it's also funny that he says that exact thing i don't want to live as an old man and then he kind of like skill lives as shrewd for a minute and he realizes that right now what he thought was like an old man body is not at all what it is and he actually got to feel the what it feels like to be an old man and he's like I think he became a little bit more grateful of the body that he is in even if it is damaged right now there's the potential that it will heal unlike shrewd because you can't unage right yeah, and that's definitely like aging just is like a continuous theme throughout this throughout like these series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also talks a lot about Molly in this prologue, which kind of feels a little bit like it comes out of nowhere because like he thinks about Molly and talks about Molly in Assassin's Apprentice, but not to this degree. And then we're like right in the prologue, and there's like three pages of just him thinking about much he's obsessed with molly um which is very teenager of him but there's like one line that he says um molly was that most cherished of items a genuine refuge 
and it like kind of hints to how important she's gonna be um but i just really don't like that he refers to her as an item <laughs> like oh yeah i didn't even see that <laughs> wow yeah. Yeah. wow it's yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's because like lots of like his relationship with her is like super selfish where it's like the yeah like because this is my escape this is where i can like live my own life without like a consideration of like like having someone in your life means having someone in your life like for not not for not for like obviously you need like some privacy but like that that means inviting them to your like life as a whole. So like having the degree to, of lies and stuff that Fitz has. Oh, like we see it later on. Like how much shit that like Fitz puts himself in through this. Yeah, and he doesn't. I feel like he doesn't realize that Molly has her own life outside of the times that he sees her, and that's why he didn't realize sooner, kind of the repercussions that his actions and like his pursuit of her before could have had on her life. I think maybe not even that she doesn't have a life. He just assumes that her life is like more stable than his because he's such like a like it, yeah, he's just like such a like self-pitying motherfucker sometimes and it it leaves him like blind to the to like the ills of others, which we see like I guess we see later in this prologue or like I guess in chapter 1 where he's like, "Oh yeah, with with shrewd." Like mm -hmm. yeah. I think he's also just like crazy naive like he really thinks that he can just keep this one i think shade says it at one point in this section that we read where he's like did you really think that you could just live two lives and fitz is like i can't uh -huh, uh -huh. Like, never occurred to him <laughs> like lying to my friends is bad like he's just functioning and he isn't Realizing that, like, them spending all this time together as Molly's pretty much a young adult at this point, and he's a teenager, but, like, it's not very appropriate, and he's just, like, we're friends and we walk to the beach. <laughs> he's just so, like, clueless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think he gets much better at that, though. No. <laughs> Yeah, oh, just con constant ignorant himbo. Yes. <laughs> um, oh yeah, one line that I really liked here is, <clears throat> I winced to think of the price willingly paid for loving me, which applies obviously to like Molly and stuff, but like, I was thinking about this in the context of like, the fool as well, because I'm like, oh yeah, this must also be how the fool feels as like having to like constantly witness Fitz's death and like cause that um and also even as amber um kind of like making connections with all of these people but also having to kind of be aloof to it or like have to like move history where it has to go and so having that like pull of duty uh versus this thing of like the care for people and how that ends up sometimes like hurting the people around the fool. So I was like, yeah, that's an interesting parallel I didn't think of. And the fool though, 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 like, yeah, the, the Fitz is, the Fitz, you, the hurt that Fitz gives to the people around him is a decent amount of time his own fault. Well, with the fool, it's kind of just, like, unavoidable. Yeah, he has to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Which makes, I think, the, the Fool a lot more tragic in that respect. They Loving someone so much, but being kind of the cause of their pain or not being able to, like, move around it or move them away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I think I have, like, two last things from this prologue, and then I'll be done with my stuff. Um, the first was a line from Burrage, which was, uh, stop defining yourself by what you can't do. Why don't you consider what you didn't lose? And, like, I love, like, Burrage's attitude throughout all of this, but also because, like, like, Fitz is being, like, so, like, Again, this is another like close, like close-minded fits here. But like I'm like these are stuff, these are things that Burge had himself had to consider when like he lost his leg. And like he just kept living and kept moving on. Like he and he's still like he very much has like a fulfilling whole life. And it's just like Fitz is just like not seeing this and he's like, What would you know, Burge? Oh, I'm <laughs> and also chapter I think is the first time we ever see him call Fitz Fitz chivalry mm-hmm. which is cool I think we kind of get that a lot in this like first section that we read mm-hmm. because patience for the first time is calling him Fitz chivalry too and I was like I was kind of shocked by that I know I, I noticed that, that too later. I was like she's, suddenly she's not calling him Tom anymore I know what the heck and then Shade is like I can't call you yeah. boy anymore. I'm just gonna call you Fitz, and it's and it's like this cascading thing of like everyone's cementing that as his name. Yeah, and also like his because he is growing into being Chivalry's son. We see, yeah, like, they mm-hmm. by taking like by taking that like like by the authority his that, that, that authority, and also just like it kind of represents like a literal shift from like like boy to Fitz or like from boyhood to manhood where he has like all these responsibilities and things that he's been trying to avoid and like just kind of like be like i do not see it like the whole like molly and like buckheap town thing but now is like forced to consider the implications of it because it's like people all people around him are like you can't like this is just reality dog and this is what being an adult means now you gotta learn to live with it yeah Yeah, the last thing I guess in this chapter is this is the first time that I just because they were talking about like Burridge's leg again, and I just I realized that Burridge also saved Fitz from a boar just like he did from his father. Though that was like off screen and in the side, but like man, I wish we had more details about that because that must have also been like a harrowing thing for Burridge. Like oh my god, like not not, not again. Yeah. <laughs> god damn these farseers and their boars. I know. <laughs> Honestly, at this point, just change the crest. The like, why, why, why is it a, why is it a buck? But they're never important. Yeah. Watch me say this, and then like we go on to like the later books, and there's like a bunch of like buck symbolism that I just totally missed the first time. It actually bonds with a buck instead of night eyes. <laughs> and we're like, wait, I don't remember. Like, is this just new? like a like Mandela effect type thing, where it's like, yes. hold on. <laughs> Speaking of Burrich, 
one of the quotes that I loved from him and reminded me of something crazy is he said, the fight isn't over until you win it fits. And that reminded me like I could totally see Birch being in one of those old Westerns and like being this crazy, tough cowboy. Like, I just want that for Birch now. I want him to be able to be. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He's basically that. He's just in the wrong time. He has the like like, ineptitude for emotional um, depth that a cowboy would have. So right, yes. And he's like really mysterious to like the kids. He could totally do it. Yeah. Also, like I love that that quote came from after he wrestled a fucking horse. And this is like post <laughs> having a bad leg. Like, hello? Like, I feel like, like, lot, like, Fitz is just like casually, like, yeah, you know, that one time that Birch wrestled a horse, and like the rest of the castle is like, huh? Excuse me, what the fuck? <laughs> like, and yeah, it's definitely like, it's easy to see like why Birch has like, ge- is generally respected. Just like. And where Fitz gets his stubbornness from. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're Absolutely. so similar like not being actually related mm-hmm. for better or for worse yeah yeah um okay so is there anything else in the prologue or do we want to move on to chapter one i think for me yeah i don't think so cool so chapter one is silt bay um and we kind of already alluded to what happens this chapter already, but uh, Fitz falls asleep, and in his weakened physical state, his uh, skill walls come down. He ends up uh, accidentally, unknowingly skilling into uh, King Shrewd's mind, um, and then sees like King Shrewd's physical condition. He's extremely uh, sick and racked by like the effects of his old age, um, and is feeling helpless. And King Shrewd, uh, along with the fool who's there, ends up, uh, through a combination of Shrewd's skill and the fool's uh, prescience, um, witness a red ship raid on, the t- on a small uh, coastal town named Silt Bay. Um, and this is, I guess, a notable chapter for two things, in that it's one of the few times we get to see from Shrewd's perspective and get a little bit of context for um, what his emotions are. And I think more importantly, it's one of the like most directly horrifying depictions of what the red ship raids are like and the effects on the common people. Um, there was one line that like stood out. Fools talking about. Um, Shrewd asks him like what does he see that will happen about Silt Bay? And the fool says, they sing victory songs about Silt Bay because basically, like, nobody was forged because they all killed themselves and each other to, like, keep themselves from getting forged. Um, And there's a line he says that says, we kill our own so that the raiders can't, and we make victory songs about it. Amazing what folk will take comfort in when there's nothing else to hold on to. It's just like, That's your victory, is that people had to, like, kill themselves and their children and their families to keep them from getting forged. It shows how dire this 
situation is. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like... I think we all, like, mention it, but, like, just the fool, like, having... Like, because, like, the... King Shrewd asks, like, the fool to, like, remember forward and see, like, various possibilities. And just, like, all of the various... Um, specifically to the to the women of Silk Bay. And it's just, like, this really harrowing, like... like the, the And, like, the fool is, like, reciting this kind of, like, monotone as just, like, can't, like, can't dwell on this emotionally because otherwise, blah. But it's just kind of this, like, horrific, like, reel of atrocities committed against the women of Silt Bay. And, it, and like, yeah, it's... Because lots of the time, by being at Buckkeep, the we hear about the Red Ship Raids as kind of, like, this distant, like, vague threat that's kind of affecting the kingdom. And so, I think for Lost of the First Book, it's hard to, like, quantify or, like, feel... Because we see forged people, but then we don't, like, see it in that context. We, like, hear that, like, people are getting forged. But we kind of feel, like, divorced from that context of, like, what the raids are like. So, yeah, this this chapter, like, yeah, we... I, I, yeah, I don't even know what to say about it. This chapter always just leaves me, like, genuinely, like, fucked up every time I read it. It's really brutal. Like, yeah. the passage about the women of Silt Bay is so brutal and, like think um hob does a really good job of hammering home the horrific realities of war whereas i uh it sets it apart from a lot of other fantasy series at least that i've read where it's almost glorified Um, i was exactly thinking that yeah and it, it like you don't see this super often in this genre where it's like no this is really fucked up and this is what war is like in the real world like it's it's brutal and it's horrific and not just for whoever's off fighting but for the people who whose like war battle ends up on their doorstep it's there's they just get hit in the crossfire yeah and there's nothing like horrified about it it's just awful Also, Molly was at Silt Bay. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of like, and that was like one of the the two big factors that that from the section that completely like flipped Fitz's perspective around. One being obviously what we discussed earlier, which is that uh, Fitz realizes that he's not so bad off, not so bad off as he thought he was. And the second being, like, now he has a distinct reason to return to Buckkeep to find out what happened to Molly. Mm-hmm. Molly, she's only, she has to only be, like, 16 or 17 here, and she's having to, like, kill somebody to protect herself and her young nieces mm-hmm. and, like, overcome this. I'm sure she saw a bunch of terrible shit. And then on top of, like, now she's homeless and she has to just make her way back to Buck after experiencing this, like, traumatizing thing. Yeah, yeah so, like, the, this, the, like, chain of events here for Molly is 
she like loses her chancery, like to her childhood home. Well, her, her dad, dies. Dad, dad dies. Her dad dies. Then yeah, she loses her trade, her home, her last connection to her mother and family, or not? I guess like I guess her mother. She like then the whole like red ship raid happens. She comes back to Buck, hoping to find the like one person she trusts, and then finds out that everything she thought she knew about him was a lie. And it's just like. Yeah. She's really going through it. Yeah. Fitz thinks he has it rough, and he does, but at least he has, like, home and, like, people that care about him. And he knows where he's going to And who look out for him. And who look out for him. Molly's kind of on her own. Yep. Molly doesn't have a birch, at least, like, not yet. But, like, yeah. Like, the amount that, like, birch, like, (laughs) pushes him and, like, actually, like, there's like Fitz would have died like so many times in like in the in like in just like this first just in Champe if like Birch hadn't been there. Hmm. Well, Molly will I get kind a Birch. Yeah. yeah, I kind of forgot how like patients took Molly in and helped her out. Like when I was reading the Fitz and the Fool, and it must have been so kind of nice to have patients come and live with them for a little bit too like i'm sure molly enjoyed it just as much as fitz did i forgot that too and i was like oh it's nice of molly to let fitz's like mom mom yeah that's what i thought she must have loved it too because molly or yeah molly didn't have a mom either so patience was probably like almost a surrogate mother to her as well hmm Yeah, that's interesting because, like, it's a continuing theme of, like, kind of, like, blood ties being important, but family being the people who actually care for you and, like, raise you. Like, I like that, like, theme of, like, found family, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. There was one line from The Fool that I picked out of this, um... Shrewd is like talking about how he doesn't understand what the purpose of the Raiders is. And maybe if he understood the purpose, he could like better combat them. And the fool says, they partake of the madness of he who drives them. I was wondering if that like indicates that he doesn't, he's just using he as a, or if I should say they, they're just using he as like a general statement or if they don't know yet that it's all the pale woman's doing so they could be referring to keeble robred i guess too but yeah my thought well, is keeble like... robred i'm oh, sorry go ahead. i feel like um the white woman probably is keeping herself like hidden so that maybe the fool can't even really see that she's behind it all <clears throat> yeah yeah, and, like, we definitely know that Keeble Robred definitely has, like, this, like, streak of madness. We don't get to see a lot of the dude, but from, like, the snippets of conversation we get when he's in the Stone Dragon in, uh, in, in like, Fool's Fade, um, definitely seems like... And, like, we, we also know that, like, was definitely crazed by being put in the Stone Dragon, but, like, all the descriptions seem like this kind of, like, stereotypical, like, angry bloodlust type of person. 
And I could definitely see, I could also see, like, kind of the pale woman, like, chat, like, kind of like, because Keeble was supposed to be, like, strong in the skill, but not able to, like, wield it. So I could definitely see, like, the pale woman kind of, like, using this skill to, like, channel his emotions out. And so it's, like, literally partaking of uh, his madness. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Speaking of the fool in this chapter, it kind of just made me wonder about how they came to Buckkeep. Like, did they come looking for Fitz and then grew to kind of love Shrewd and take care of him? Or do you think that Shrewd initially played some big roles in the prophecies that the fool had? And that's why they, like, have such a strong attachment to the king. I got the sense in like later I think it's it's either later books or like later series or whatever when they're telling Fitz about how they got to butt keep. I kind of got the sense that they knew they needed to be there but not why. So okay. they kind of were just making their way there and they were like, well I guess I'll just Hang out with the king because that seems like my best <laughs> yeah. to find the catalyst. And best. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. maybe they thought that Shrewd was the catalyst at first, and then because they didn't really know until they met Fitz and saw yeah. all the different webs spewing out from him. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, they knew that the Farseer line had to stick around, and so. That was, like, the one thing. So it's like, cool, let's go to the Farseer line. Let's stick around. Become unofficial bodyguard. And, like, I mean, <laughs> it makes sense. Because we see, like, Shrewd, like, kicks the bucket. And, like, two seconds later, everything goes to shit at the end of this book. Like, yeah, literally, like, Shrewd being alive holds Regal's ambitions in check for, like, so long. Then as soon as he dies, like, everything. Okay. So when, I think it's also just, like... It, like, I, yeah, because I've always grappled with the question of, like, why does the, why, why is the fool, like, so unfailingly affectionate to Shrewd? And I think it's, like, it, it really must come down to, like, it's the first person who genuinely cared for the fool after they escaped from Clarence. Because, like, mm. they were, like, bounced around between Jemila and, like, all of this, and it must be, like, the sort of feeling of, like, oh, God, where am I going to end up? And then they find, come to Buckkeep and, like, she was just like, yeah, sure. You can hang out. And, like, even that, like, crumb of, like, hair is probably a lot for people. Shrewd extends protection to the fool in a way that, like, probably no one else ever has Mm -hmm. since they've left their, like, original home. So, I mean, he even is, like, upset with Fitz at the end of this book before he realizes that it wasn't him that killed Shrewd. He's, like, pissed at Fitz. So his loyalty until Shrewd dies really isn't even necessarily with Fitz. It's with Shrewd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we even see like there's like the like because the fool is constantly like, "Hey, go see Shrewd, go see Shrewd," and because mm-hmm. Fitz like even though he like skilled with Shrewd doesn't realize how far Shrewd's condition has deteriorated. And then there's like that one part where like Shrewd is just like kind of, like, drugged out of his mind and, like, is in a bad place. And then 
Uh, I remember Fitz is just like sees the fool in the corner, like angrily crying, and just like runs away. And it's like it kind of like this condemnation of like you should have come earlier, you should have been witness to this, and you should have helped me like save our king. Mm-hmm. Because I think that the fool realizes that like um, Shrewd is no longer Fitz's king in in the same way that Verity is, and is like. Yeah. And that causes, like, this rift between them as this book goes on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because I think the fool sees one side of Shrewd and Fitz kind of perceives a different way. And he thinks that Shrewd isn't how he actually is right now. Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, I also think that the fool is probably a little blinded because, like, yeah, shrewd, shrewd. We we all know shrewd, not the best, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I love the fool so much, but I hate shrewd. So mm. I'm always like, why are you so far up his ass? He's so bad. He's not so bad, but I hate him. <laughs> yeah, he he drops the ball in a lot of meaningful ways that just causes stuff to spiral. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think even now... Yeah, and for someone like the Fool, who's supposed to be all about, like, saving history, it's like, should you not recognize that this dude is, like, a bad influence on the course of time? Mm -hmm. I wonder how much of, like, what Shrewd does now in these books is because they're, like, tinkering in his head with the skill. Because it's feel like they're kind of already doing that now so it because like that's probably how regal knew that fitz was like this assassin apprentice and like i suspect that galen was fucking about in shrewd's head like even before he died i think honestly they were... it could have been like a trial run for what they were planning to do to verity yeah and they just kept going because they're like could be useful let's continue they're they could be making him like he obviously has some type of whatever whether it's cancer or some type of disease like it's making him really sick but it's exacerbated by all the skill messing about and all these potions that wallace wall ass <laughs> I wonder if he's even sick to begin with. I wonder if they, they did something sick. to him to make him feel like he's sick, and then they're just the potions are continuing the sickness so that he's in this weakened state and they can use him. We know he can, that they can like heal somebody with skill, so I wouldn't doubt that they could make somebody really sick with skill. Ooh. Inflicting damage is probably a lot easier than repairing it, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the way Fitz like sees it and sees like what's wrong within the bodies to heal it, I'm sure they could go in and see what's right within the body and just tweak it a little bit to mess it up pretty badly. Do they have like the skill skill to be able to do that? Because <laughs> yeah. lots of the healing stuff comes about after like extensive, like Chade putting together a bunch of like extensive ana- at- anatomy, like libraries. Plus the retrieving the skill scrolls, so I feel like they probably instead of like going for specific parts, they're just like 
Yeah, we'll just fucking sledgehammer and whatever gets crushed gets crushed. Just like, because they're like doing like the skill leeching, right? They probably could also just like, yeah. we're gonna knock something in the brain here and see what goes. Also, or they're like, doing it accidentally, not even realizing they're just trying to leech and leech and leech, and then they take some vital part along with it. Possible, yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else for chapter one? Okay, so let's move on to chapter two, The Homecoming. Um, and unfortunately, no, this is not a dance. This is just uh, Fitz uh, actually returning back to Buckkeep um, after a long, uh, horrible weather, very weak Fitz journey. Um, finally gets back. We see him uh, in an interesting scene step into the role or kind of persona of chivalry when talking with the gate guards. And there's a little interaction with Birch there that also is like relevant to how Fitz has changed due to the way people perceived him in the Mountain Kingdom. Um, and yeah, it's just like Fitz noticing a lot of little different things about Bucky, particularly also with uh, how the castle has changed since Ketrigan's arrival. Mm hmm. I feel like there is a lot of foreshadowing in this chapter. Um, one of them being, like, he's talking to the guards, and he says, You can tell them all the bastard isn't done for yet. Plagues or poisons, you should have known that Burrich would physic me through it. I'm alive and well, I just look like a corpse. Like, at the end of this book, he literally is a corpse. Due to poison and, like, beaten. And then Burrich is the one that helps to, like, or magic him back to life. Yeah, I didn't notice it until you mentioned it, but like the word choice of physic feels like a really like pointed one there because it's it's both sort of like a it's like, like mystical. I, yeah, it's like it, you can understand it from like the medical perspective or like but like yeah, there's also like an element of like mystique to it which comes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really like good shout. Cure or heal he doesn't he uses like this kind of archaic right um i guess another thing for foreshadowing is there's a line where fitz is ruminating on like how he's going to present himself to regal um and he says nor i vowed would regal see me tremble or see me clutch a wall for support um and I feel like there's, if I'm remembering right, there's a part like later on in this book where like, after Fitz is healed, where like they end up like confronting each other in a hallway and like Regal tries to like push past him, but then ends up just kind of like having to like sidle through by on the wall because like Fitz is strong enough that he can't just like push past him. And I'm like, and I, and I love that like Fitz manages to like keep this promise to himself to like put like show Regal that he is still strong. There's also a part that I can't believe I never noticed before, but um, it says talking about Burrich and he says he lifted a hand to a streak of white in his dark hair, testimony to the blow that had nearly killed him. It's like, how did I never like pick up on the fact that Burrich also has a white streak in his hair? I just noticed yeah, that like too. 
Would they be more like father and son? Okay, this is another thing where <laughs> oh, I'm like, I swear to God, they edited the book, they went back, they changed it, because how the fuck did I... Like, I saw that and I'm like, what? And I was like looking for it as I was reading the chapter. I'm like, holy shit, it's there. They say it on the page. Of like matching head trauma. I know. <laughs> They're twinning. <laughs> that was something I noticed too. I love that though. Well, yeah. not that they obviously both <laughs> almost died from like head wounds, but like that they both healed in a way that gave them this like similar coloring. Right. Um, yeah, speaking of Birch, like again, another like line that like shows his like, I think kind of beautiful and amazing perspective is like things change because time passes with the idea being that like change is just natural and will happen. And so viewing change as like a function of specific events or specific things that happened and ruminating on those events and seeing it as like kind of like a a turning point sometimes it's just like sometimes it's valid but sometimes it's just like things are going to change that's just how it goes we'll just like you'll also like continue to live and change as well so just like live with it and you um, can't get stuck on what if or what how would i have been if this didn't happen you just kind of have to accept that this happened and live through it Mm -hmm. and like in the same section sorry sorry. i was gonna say it's just a polarizing perspective to fitz because fitz is constantly ruminating on everything that's happened and like why and what could have been what he did wrong and how things should be and like never wanting anything to change this entire series is just fits like (laughs) hating change and being the cause of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. also like looking back and being like on god i can't believe that happened like this is just all him like (laughs) him back writing and and like is this real i feel like this is totally like like that thing where it's like you're about to settle and you're about to go to sleep and then you're like your brain is like hey remember that really embarrassing thing you did like 10 years ago and it's like fuck i can't sleep guess i gotta write a whole ass book about this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this one time like I couldn't believe it but yeah like also like Birch in the same section like reaffirms how Fitz has grown like socially and like in terms of like maturity in his presentation and I, and I love that like Birch is like pointing out like hey you've still got this you've still got like these things which like um, not only have you've retained but you've improved on as a way to like offset Fitz's kind of like depressive, like cyclical thing of like I'm a, I'm a cripple, I'm physically weakened. Uh, this like I'm I'm never gonna be whole. Like, and again, I feel like Birch like knows what to point to, presumably because he was like in a similar situation, had to like work himself through the same exercises or like the same like thought processes. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's one of like the remarkably emotionally intelligent moments we see from Birch, and I think I really appreciate it for that. Something in this chapter. I lost what I was going to say. <laughs> I have no clue what I was going to say. It was something about Birch. You have the little thing here about uh, the exchange between Birch and Fitz. Could it be that? Yes, I think. It's like, oh, it feels like they don't have misunderstandings anymore. It seems like they're kind of 
at least right now on the same page and they don't need before they didn't use words because they didn't understand each other when they did. And now with Fitz trying to be like, you did all this for me. Like, I really care for you. I love you. You're my dad. Like you're my man. And Birch is like, save those speeches for when one of us is dying. It's kind of like they don't need the words that they could use right now because they kind of just understand each other, which is, I think, a complete 180 from how it was before. Mm-hmm. I think but also- they've realized what they mean to each other because they almost, lo- like, they've never come this close <laughs> losing each other before. Like, Birch knows Fitz still has the wit, and he even gets the inkling that he's bonded later in this book, but he still agrees to, like, eat the wolf to help Ketrick and get out of the palace at the end, even though he knows the wolf's only going to be there because of Fitz. Fitz telling the wolf to be there. Or, like, I mean, he goes against everything he believes to bring Fitz back to life. He uses the wit himself, and he, like, communicates with Night Eyes, and he tells Fitz to, like, go into the wolf, which is, like, the opposite. He, like, sets aside all of his moral, like issues with it which he the birch from the last book would not have done he would have never he would have been like bye fitz i'm sorry yeah. i'll dig your grave yeah oh, i should have yeah. raised the boy better oh, a lot yeah. anyways yeah oh. but yeah I, I also i find it really ironic how like birch is like save speeches like that for one of us is dying like motherfucker we almost died it's not like i would have i would have given the speech <laughs> if i had the chance but you were like you were knocked out with it with a head wound and i was half drowned so like can we have this conversation now that we're healed please yeah. and when they are like when fitz is dying he's in the prison so he they don't get a chance to talk and then when birch is dying he's like in and out of consciousness and can't really hold a conversation and then he is on a different ship than Fitz, so Fitz can't even like be with him. So it's like, I save it for when one of us is dying, but you aren't in the position. Every to opportunity when like we're that. all dying, it's not there. Right. Yeah, in fact, it should be right. like have these speeches before we die, so that we can actually have them at some point. <laughs> yeah. And we actually we actually see like a really similar thing with the fool, right? Because like when because like when the when Fitz is talking when he's cradling the fool's body and in, in fool's fate, he's like. Uh, would you prefer your ashes like spread among the stars or should I burn you in, in the tent or whatever? And he's like, I feel like a friend should like talk to each other about these things, but now it's too late. So it's like, yeah, and that, just, that just like reminded me of that. It's that message of like, tell people what they mean to you when you can. Don't like wait until, oh, we don't need to say it now. We have more time because you don't know. And when the time comes, you probably won't be in a position to to say it yeah which like for all the problems i have with like the very end of fool's fate i think that like it definitely does a good job of like put like putting like a nice like pin in that theme with like fitz is like wanting to like returning to bucky talking to patience and then molly uh, and being like yeah i'm gonna like actually look out look out and for the people i love people i care about in my life but also it's kind of weird because like Fitz is, isn't really in Molly's life at all. But by that point, that's a whole nother conversation. Oh, um, he's just been obsessing over her for the last 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> 15 years. Mm-hmm. And skill 
like looking in on her. Yeah, that's skill stalking. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, or just like regular stalking, because isn't there a part <laughs> where he's like sitting on top of the hill looking down on their yes. farm? He's watching her like take care of the kids and stuff and put out the laundry. Yeah. I <clears throat> love him, but he's a little creepy. Yes. <laughs> he definitely is. And I'm sure he learned, like, he, like, thinks that it's okay because he's a spy and an assassin. He's like, it's okay to, like, be, like, sneaky like this. I'm not being creepy. I'm just being sneaky. There's and a I difference. Think he justifies it by always being like, I'm just making sure they're safe. Yeah. Like, just looking in to make sure they're safe. Like, okay, if it's, sure. My liar. <laughs> Yeah, one thing that like made me like super sad here that I didn't expect to was seeing Hans caring for Fitz and being like, yo, I'll take care of Sudi, it's all cool. And then just like I just had like had a flash forward to when like Hans like how it ends up with like Fitz being like, Hey Hans, it's me, and Hans being like wit magic and like running away. Like in it it just makes me so sad because like Hans is one of those like recurring true friends that Fitz has. Yeah. And yeah, it just all falls apart later on. And it shows, like, how deep this, like, Zwit bias goes. Mm-hmm. kind of forgot how close of friends they were until I was rereading. Because it's, like, so painful for Fitz when that happens in Assassin's Quest. And I remember just being like, oh, that sucks. But when I'm rereading this and I know that's coming up, I'm like, poor Fitz, this is, like, one of your only friends. Yeah, Hans is one and of like the two people to stay behind him. in the Mountain Kingdom. Right. And like Hans, yeah, like Hans makes the whole journey back, and it's just like, and and like must have had an inkling of what like because like only the people who are in the Mountain Kingdom have like a true idea of like what really went down with like Regal and everything. So it must have had at least like a a suspicion of, like, Fitz's role as, like, an assassin or whatever. He's really his only friend around his age that, like, sees him as a kid but knows he's the bastard. Because all his other friends in town didn't know who he really was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hans yeah, is, like, like, the only person that knows that identity. Yeah, and do we, like, see Carrie or Dirk again like ever they're like they're like name dropped like a few times in the first book but then i think that like as it goes on they're kind of just like away one of them is forged it's carrie oh okay and it has to fight him really yeah i think so oh shit i totally forgot that that me too i maybe i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure no i feel like that sounds right Robin Hobb would do something like that to us, for sure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh yeah, wait. Um, one thing that like I super didn't note, but I thought was really cool, was that you that Leah you noted that this is the first time we meet Blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. I remember. Um, like I think it's Blade's grandson. Um. In the Fitz and the Fool, when they like announce him as actually Fitz Chivalry and not Tom Badgerlock, 
I think Blade, it's Blade's grandson that's like, my grandfather, like, fought for you and, like, defended your name all these years and never knew that you were still alive. And it's like, he's not a super major character, but, like, his um, opinion of Fitz is important to Fitz because he sees him as, like, a good guard and a good man. Yeah, and we see him in Tawny Man when, like, uh, Fitz goes to, like, mm-hmm. the steam the steam vats or whatever. And, like, I don't remember, but there's definitely, like, there's, like, some, like, respectful interaction there. And, like, Fitz being like, oh, Blade, he's still here. Yeah, and I... He's terrified that he's going to recognize him. But then Blade says something complimentary about, like, the bastard. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know that, like, he just thinks it's Tom Badgerlock or whatever, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love, like, because I think lots of times when authors, like, bring back recurring characters, it can feel, like, forced or, like, this is a little too coincidental. But the way that Robin Hobb does it feels like, yeah, that's just life. Like, people are around, especially in a place where, like, uh, mobility or, like, transport is not high and people are going to have, like, so, like like, professions or whatever that keep them in one place. It just makes sense that, like you'll hear about them or like they'll stick around or, like there'll be family that you can hear information from just like yeah it, it feels like a very like natural thing of like bringing back characters and so i, mm-hmm. I love like the way she deals with minor characters in that way yeah me too yeah so i guess i guess we've been like talking around the big scene in this chapter which is when they come back um i guess and i guess blade is like a good transition from into this um they get stopped at uh the gates of buckkeep castle because they don't recognize uh fitz or burrich um burrich less so but it's mostly because they're in mountain fashion and fitz looks completely different um fitz ends up uh essentially telling the guard it's totally cool stand down um they and, like, ends up throwing out, like, a commendation and, like, takes control of the whole situation. And then Burge is like, yo, can't be acting like that because then Regal will get, uh, like, mad or hear of it. But also, like, there's, like, this little spark of pride in Burge. It's like, yeah, this, this motherfucker chivalry son for sure now. Because I love mm-hmm. the description where it's like, um, what is it? His smile was, uh, like, half incredulous and half proud. Because, like, he's, he's, the words he's saying are, like, all, like, you better be careful. Why do you do that? What's going on? But then he, like, he can't control, like, his true emotions from spilling out. Yeah, Fitz has had as much as, like, he's taken physically, like, it's been really brutal this time in the mountains. Um, he's had kind of a glow up. He's very, like, naturally princely. Even more so, Mm -hmm. I would say, than Regal or possibly even Verity. Like, he just instinctually has this, like, charisma and ability to command people. Um, Without even meaning to, also. Or, like, realizing that he's doing it. He doesn't even know. And he does it to Verity in the next chapter. He does it to Burridge a couple times. Verity's like... (laughs) Excuse you? He's like, might I? <laughs> yeah. There's an acid edge, and I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. And I think even but, Patience knows, notices it somewhere in this section, too. 
probably why she starts calling him Fit Chivalry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. There's a line Burrich says, or he says, you move as Chivalry's son should, and that's what shows in your bearing and what those guards responded to, and Hans and I, Ida, help us all. Because Fitz thinks they're treating him different because he's like... He's a cripple. cripple. Yeah. And Burrich is like, um, no. You're acting like a prince and maybe like tone it down because Regal's going <laughs> to yeah. for it. Yeah. And so like, yeah, it's so... Because Fitz thinks that like Hans is being like kind to him because he's like a, a cripple out of pity. But it's it's just kind of like... You're tired, and you're my friend, and also now I, I I recognize you as like the this like way cooler person than 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 just my friend, and like Fitz yeah, you're not just this boy because he, he never picks up on anyone having a positive opinion of him. Just like it's everyone like, must now hate I'm me. Remembering that you are one of the royals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so at the end, we see that, uh, at the end of the chapter, we see that Buckheap gets, like, a minor glow up here. There's, like, no more, like, like, how, like, Fitz like, there aren't, like, the familiar cobwebs and stuff. <laughs> it's just, like, the, obviously, the it's still, like. The walls are clean. Yeah. There's no soot or ash castle. everywhere. It happens to a castle when all the women leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's just left in filthy eggs. Yeah, and um, it's definitely not the pure, like the perfect glow up that it gets in like Tawny Man or further on, but like this definitely it's is getting like, there. Yeah, this this sets it's the ball rolling. Like yeah. Also, I like how like they make a point to note that Verity and Ketrickin are getting some. They're just like yes, like they like... literally like the equi- equivalent of a very suggestive eyebrow wiggle. Just is like the entire like end of that chapter. <laughs> Fitz is just clueless like, about he's it. Not he's like, there? what do you mean Verity's not in his room or his tower? And I love how, like, <laughs> in, the, in the next chapter, like, this tackless-ass motherfucker is like, marriage seems to be uh, agreeing with you, my prince, and Verity's just, like, completely thrown off guard. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, yeah, in, in some respects. Anyways, my ships, can we change the subject? Let's talk about my ships. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but yeah, is there anything else uh, from chapter two? I think one little side thing, but this doesn't apply to just chapter two. It's like the all of the books in general, but the descriptions of food in these books, even if I've just eaten, I am like immediately hungry and I want whatever they're eating. Like just the way, like just buttered bread and stew. Like it sounds so, so good. Mm-hmm. And then I think at recipes from Buck followed us on Instagram, our podcast. And then I started following them with my personal page and the food looks amazing. Like they make the food and it looks so good. It looks even better than it's described. And I didn't even think that was a thing. Like I didn't think that could be possible, but I want to eat them all. I yo, love that. I'm also, like, yo, recipes from Buck collab stream. I, I, I just, I just want yes. an excuse to do a cooking yes. stream. Cause like, that would be Please. so much fun. Yeah. I would love that. I really want to try the sugar cakes that Thick is obsessed with. Like, they sound so yes. good. Yes. The pink, like, sugar cake things. I was yeah. wondering if they had, like, the spicy bread that fits. Because 
the as like I love spicy stuff and Fitz is always like, ooh, the spicy. I like the spicy. And I'm like, yes, kindred spirit. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, okay. So chapter three is renewing ties. Um and this is basically exactly what it sounds like. Um it's Fitz running into a bunch of people from uh Buckheap. Uh patience. Verity, and finally at the tail end of the chapter, Molly, and to varying degrees of success, re-establishing a relationship with them and talking with them. Um, yeah, I think we can just, like, get into it. I think it's so funny that Fitz, like, picks up something off the ground at random in Patience's room, because he's, like, trying to mask the fact that he doubled over due to health reasons, and Patience just thinks that it's, like, a present for her. She, and she's, like, thinking that he's getting on one knee for her to, like, yeah. apologize. She's like, get up. What are you doing? You're being like, ridiculous. So disorganized, but she doesn't even realize what's in her own room already. Yeah. She's yeah. like, oh, you, you have brought me a gift. <laughs> How did you know I was looking into this? <laughs> Thank you. It, it, it reminds me of, like, the same kind of thing where like patients like carelessly gives Fitz the dog and it ends up being something like that he actually cares about it's just kind of like the real thing is that like not really that they like get each other gifts it's just like the fact that they show that they care about each other and they just like they end up like running into whatever the other cares about naturally well yeah it's like accidental all of their best gifts are just like quickly thought things they're like i like this maybe like they will too or like maybe i should try this and then it turns out to be something so special to the other person oh yeah um and speaking of all the clutter one thing that like i didn't catch as at all and that's like super cool um is the bayberry candle and patience's room which is like hinting that Molly is like working for patients, and like I, I went back. I'm like, oh my god, because I usually just like skim over the description description of stuff in patients' rooms. Like, yeah, they're just a trying to establish that patients' has cluttered. But then it's like, and it's like nicely sandwiched in there between like other random stuff. I was like, oh, well, I remember from the last book that Molly sold a lot of Bayberry candles for the like festival or the holiday or whatever so i was just like it could have been like leftover from that but it's definitely molly's still making candles right for sure i don't i have no idea what baber is honestly no but it sounds like it would smell delicious i picture it being like a like a periwinkle color and smelling really sweet and delicious is it a real thing or is it up for this I hope it's a real thing. I would love to just like googling it. I Bay- feel like you can buy Bayberry candles, like at Yankee Candle. So it must be real then. Cool. Yeah, it must you be. You know real. what? The, the, this is we've already discussed cooking stream. The second of our special streams at some point, <laughs> candle making stream. Yes, please. I've actually one of my friends did candle making, and I've always wanted to try it because I'm just like it seems like such like a like fun activity, and I already have like five. Yeah. I feel like it'd be really rewarding to burn a candle that you made yourself. Oh, definitely. 
And I want to buy one now just to know what it smells like. Do it. I think we all should and we should light them and just record with it on like one day so that the whole all of our rooms smell like it. Yeah, we should coordinate. Uh. And then we have to have all of the listeners buy one too so that they can smell it while we're all smelling it and talking about the book. <laughs> we should do we should do it for the Royal Assassin live stream because at that point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cuz oh yeah, spoilers. I'm going to India for the next month, but I'll be back. But like, I'll still be able to record, and I'll be back for the live show. But like, won't be able to purchase Babery candles in the middle. But yeah, <laughs> dang. I think it's so interesting how Robin Hobb ties in some like herbs and everything from our world, and then also creates her own. Because I know, like, at the beginning of assassin's apprentice in one of the intros to the chapters she talks about something like sinjun's wart is like good for keeping away like the fairies and stuff and like saint john's wart is like an actual thing but i think she switched to the name a little bit so that it didn't because like i don't think they have saints there like they don't have that kind of religion so the fact that she kept it enough but like tweaked the name so that it would fit within the world was so cool. It blurs the line of reality to the point where yeah. we're like unsure, like, is Bayberry Candle a thing here? Right. <laughs> for the book, you know? Like, yeah. it makes it feel like more of a real world. Yeah, it almost Definitely. makes me wonder if, like, some of the fake herbs are just, like, they're, like, real herbs, obviously just, like, they don't have like the same like mystical effects or whatever that they have here, but like it's like a colloquial name rather than like the let rather than like sort of a commonly accepted name. Maybe like I I, I don't remember where exactly Robin Hobb grew up, but it could just be like sort of like hey, this is just like what we call this around here, rather than like the most commonly accepted name. But like I don't know, this is just like, think, all speculation based on nothing. I think she also takes inspiration from herbs and everything in our world and then just changes the name but mm. keeps all of the properties because i think that someone was talking about one of the drugs being like cocaine oh it's i think it's the thing that bracken chews yeah. so i think it's like yeah. is heroin or something yeah he puts it in his cheek and then it like burns a hole in his cheek yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like a whole thread uh, on Reddit of like w- what real world analogs are there for like the drugs in uh bits in the Whatever floor. shade take or whatever shade takes coke. Yeah. 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 Sure. He'll take it and he'll just be like up 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 like go 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 and then he'll crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It definitely feels like yeah, those definitely feel like fictionalized like effects or like modes, but like real world effects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So there's the whole like encounter with Verity, which I like started talking about earlier, um, and this chapter like I don't know if you've seen that meme where it's like the guy who's like, I guess. But, like, that's, that's just how I feel with, like, Verity's explanation of, like, why they shouldn't kill Regal. Because it totally makes sense. He's, like, the one person in this book, 
like not I don't think even Shade like gives like a good like a thorough compelling explanation of like why killing Regal would like both destabilize faith in the monarchy and just like destabilize the region in a time of external crisis. Um, but man, it also makes me mad because I'm like, if he'd given the go ahead, we could have just ended this all here. Just Fitz could have. Mm-hmm. Can we please? Yeah, and I think there's an interesting line there where it's like justice. That's the thing that we shall ever thirst after and ever be parched. No, we content ourselves with law. But I also think this is interesting because in a monarchy where the crown is the law, there's like a balance between like adjusting the law to provide the justice that people expect. Um, because like if because like the law is just kind of like a written or like a codified thing of like what people think justice or like what is fair, right? Because like it's completely like back in the day it would be like ah oh, yes you you've done thievery cool we're going to cut off your hand which we would think is barbaric now but that's a, that was the law then and so i think if the law is like insufficient to provide justice i feel like there should be like it's the responsibility of the monarchy to like shift the laws that they're cuz otherwise if the laws don't provide justice people will lose faith in the monarchy regardless and remind me because there's a line where it's like uh chade said the secret of good governance to leave pe- people wishing that the crown uh, never so never step in yeah yeah but then if you if you actually never step in then n- people don't have anything to fear so they'll never like learn that like reticence or caution and they'll start taking it into their own hands and mm-hmm. just dealing out what they deem as justice which we, we we kind of also see like taking the law into your own hands with like how they respond to the red ship raiders because there's n- yeah no response from the crowns they're just like well yeah we got to do our own thing i guess we're on our own let's get a makeshift army going mm-hmm. it's frustrating to read this part because like verity's explanations make sense but you know that like that divide is going to happen regardless because regal's stoking it yeah and constantly like catering to the inland duchies and like the coastal duchies are losing faith rapidly like so it's like, who gives a fuck if there's, like, borderline a civil war? That's going to happen anyways. Just kill Regal. Yeah, I think <laughs> Kill your brother. Calculate. Nobody likes him anyways. Just freaking do it. Get rid of him. The miscalculation here is assuming that Regal is on board with the idea that the red ships are the biggest threat. When Regal ends yeah. up, we end up seeing that he doesn't give a shit. He's like, yeah, we'll cede the coastal duchies. Whatever. He doesn't really believe that they will come up inland. And as a result... It's not this thing of like, yeah, we can deal with Regal once the united threat is gone. It's like Regal will actively undermine the kingdom's efforts to fight off this threat to the six duchies in order to just and get. He's the, the, trying the to divide it even safe. more. Yeah. God, and like with all this, I can't like Verity's like, yeah, okay, we could do all of this, and then he gives him the fucking treasury. Like, huh? You okay? First of all, you just said that like giving him a job or whatever will be seen as like. The depending on like the quality of the job will be seen as like a punishment to like or or like a kind of like put down by the inner government. So why are you like doing this? And also, it's like you're giving him control of the most important thing in the kingdom, huh? I yeah. I think Verity has too much faith in Shrewd. 
because there's like I think it's an intro bit about the king in waiting responsibilities and it mentions that like anything the king in waiting done can be does can be undermined or shut down by like the actual king. Yeah. I think Verity is like I'll give Regal this like tedious task that I myself would hate. Verity's like everybody would hate this because I would hate it. Then if he does anything to fuck it up, Shrewd's gonna know and Shrewd's gonna shut it down because he's the actual king. But it's like no. Although if Regal didn't do all the shit that he does, then Fitz probably wouldn't have gone to the Mountain Kingdom and. Fitz and Night Eyes weren't there, Verity never would have been able to wake his dragon. Quickly. So, I guess it kind of all works out, but it's frustrating to get to like watch it get there when you know the outcome and you can see like all the missteps. Yeah. We are, we are the fool now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of the stone dragon, though. There was something in the intro chapter, intro to this chapter, that made me wonder about, like, King Wisdom and the Elderlings. It said, I can't remember what it's talking about, but it said something about um, wrath embodied in the flesh of stone. Oh, so that's, like, the Elderlings who are coming to, like, help King Wisdom. Is that just the stone dragons, or is that, do you think, referring to the actual Elderlings and the dragons, and they just kind of saw their, like, scales as, like, stony, like, pebbly flesh. I assumed it was the stone dragons because when Fitz gets there, he sees King Wisdom as a stone dragon. And there's, like, a bunch of other stone dragons. So I assumed... Yeah, and, like, the the point of this, like, because I think, if I remember right, that, like, phrase comes from, like, Fitz is like, wow, they use a lot of flowery metaphors to talk about the Elderlings. So I feel like they're actually, like, scaled. Because we see that, like, Tintaglia and stuff, like, they have really, like, beautiful coloration and stuff. I feel like they would go for that rather than talking about Flesh of Stone. Yeah, that's true. Also, by Wisdom's time, the dragons and the Elderlings were, like, for all intents and purposes, extinct. So, and given, like dark agey quality of the six duchies i doubt they would have known about them in terms of like actual history mm-hmm. so i think it's probably stone dragons yeah i guess like while we're on the intro i also really liked the intro of this chapter because it like contextualizes fitz's earlier worries about like the potential for knowledge to be lost even if it's recorded because he experienced that in his lifetime with, uh, well, we know the skill scrolls later on. Don't know about them right now. But specifically, like, the loss of knowledge about the Elderlings and how that really, like, delays and delays seeking that as a solution to the Red Ships to the point where it nearly they nearly lose the whole kingdom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess if we finish talking about, like, the intro and Verity's part, do we want to move on to the conversation with the patients in this chapter? I have one other thing about his discussion with Verity. Um, there's a part where Verity says, like, if only you could skill better, I would offer you strength. And Fitz is just like, no. And he thinks that, like, I could never do that. That's distasteful. Verity picks up on his thought and is like, I too once, like, think 
so proudly. Um, and that's like, I, I took it as a little bit of foreshadowing because by the third trilogy, Fitz is like nearly killing his own son-in-law by accidentally almost draining him to death. Um, so it's like the naivety of youth here where he's like, I could never do that. And it's like, okay, just grow up a I little will. Yeah, and you'll be draining Riddle dry. <laughs> okay, yeah, so for Patience's conversation, um, I love how, like, Fitz is just, like, he's walked down, like, this whole set of stairs, he's, like, oh, tired, and Lazy just, like, scoops him up and, like, slams him into Patience's chamber. Um, and it's obvious that they're, like, dancing around this thing of, like, Molly. Because, like, Lacey's chatter had an odd undertone to it, as though she avoided something. And then Patience later is like, and that was all? That was the sole reason for your delay? She spoke sharply, as if suspecting some heinous deception. And, like, we've, like, Patience has been framed as, like, slightly emotional and, like, melodramatic. So we just kind of take this in stride the first time you're reading it. But here it's like... Yeah, she actually does suspect some heinous deception. She thinks that, like, Fitz has been leading Molly on and is, like, trying to, like... And then he went to go see her Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. coming to see Patience. Mm -hmm. Patience, for all her, like, seeming flightiness, is really smart and, like... I, I don't want, like, whatever the positive of conniving would be like yeah she manages to turn this like possible scandal around so quickly even shades like patience did a really good job mm-hmm. blah, blah 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 you know and i think that she had to have learned that just from living in the court for so long like she mm-hmm. it was either learn how to play it by their rules or like get eaten alive by all of them mm-hmm. yeah and i love how like both Patience and Fitz assumes the other is dumb to like court politics because I think that in their outward facing personalities, they're a little bit like head in the clouds, but like internally, we see that they have like this like deep intelligence and consideration. Of course, Fitz is just as stupid as often as he is smart, but I'm oh, giving yeah. him some credit here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, I like the description of that Fitz gives of what Patience provides in his life as aggressively bettering me. And it's like, yes. Like, <laughs> I love that. The... Um, there's also another line where an odd thing happened. Our eyes met and I knew she saw my lie. She nodded slowly, accepting the lies necessary and looked aside. I wonder how many times my father had told her similar lies. What did it cost her to nod? And it's like, ah. Oh, it's like such a great characterization moment for patients, but also like so painful. She like sacrifices so much of herself for the people around her. And for the ones that she loves most. Mm-hmm. Which also is like, I wish that she she and Ketra can uh, talk more earlier slash there wasn't this like uh, animosity that patients feel towards Ketrican because like I feel like they're really similar in their philosophies and the yeah. things they enjoy. Yeah, they would be best friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also I, I, just like shows how perceptive patience is because you kind of get the sense because Fitz doesn't think she's perceptive that she's just like kind of clueless and 
doing her own thing and she's like remarkably not at all she yeah. knows what's going on and she knows how to read between the lines she just doesn't let it like color her spirit mm-hmm. and i also like here how probably patients being able to tell that fitz was lying in that situation was like okay so this is what he's like when he's lying so previously he probably was telling the truth i feel like that's yeah mm-hmm. which is i think it's kind of ironic where it's like i know that like fits i feel like again like the, all, the name of the series are always like assassin 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 he's supposed to be like this master like spy or whatever but like really where he shines is in his like candidness and honesty um and whenever he tries to like pull off a deception it's what hurts him which I think we're kind of getting to the Molly thing. It's like, if because he's like laid on all these these like weak ass and like like feeble deceptions, Molly like has no reason to believe him when he's at his most candid, and it just ends up hurting him. So I think it's really interesting because like he's honest with Verity, he's honest with patience, it goes well, and then like in the one area of his life where he's had the most deception, everything falls apart, and it show, it's kind of like this thing of like. Yeah, if only you'd taken the same approach to dealing with patience and verity that you had with Molly. Yeah. Or the other way around, but yeah. Speaking of the book titles being Assassin, I was thinking about it while I couldn't sleep the other day. And there's an Assassin trilogy and then a Fool trilogy. And then the last trilogy is like half and half. Because it's like Mm -hmm. Fool's Assassin, which is both of them, and then Fool's Quest, and then Assassin's Fate. I was like, oh, they both are, like, completely equal in book title names. Well, and even the trilogy names, like, the Farseer is all about Fitz, and then the Tawny oh. Man is referring to the Fool, and then it's yep. the Fitz and the Fool, so they're coming together. Yeah. Just, like, a random thing I noticed. The other night. I really like that though. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I wonder if that was intentional. It had That's to be. The one right? thing I like about the names now. Yeah. They're not as lame. Mm-hmm. Does anyone else oh. have a lot to say about patience? Or should we move to the Molly exchange at the very end? I don't have anything more about patience. My last note. I have more about patience in the next one, the next chapter. Yeah. So the last person that uh, Fitz meets up with here is Molly. Um, He doesn't recognize her at first because she's wearing a blue skirt and it's not red. (laughs) Instead of red. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, Fitz. So yeah, he's severely weakened by his illness, um, and to cover it up. He lies and pretends he's drunk, which is further reinforced because he spilled wine on himself earlier. So a fucking comedy of errors here. So he here. smells like it. Yeah. And then as soon as he gets to the door, uh, she's like, she realize Molly realizes that he's been lying to her about being new boy. Um, or like, kind of like, realizes that it is new boy. Um, and then Fitz is like, wait, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just weak. Hold on. And it's like... <laughs> You've already told the lie. You can't take it back. Yeah. And... Especially because that's hits so close to home for her that it's easy for her to kind of think about that and like be like, oh, yeah, he's just 
alcoholic. Reinforces all the negative thoughts she's been having about him since finding out that he lied to her. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, he's drunk too. He's just like every other, he's just like my father. Mm -hmm. First time I read this book, this interaction frustrated me so much. And it's still frustrating, but like, not as bad because I know as young people tend to do they like quickly move on from it but it's just like so annoying to read because they just won't listen to each other at all i mean to be fair if you're molly would you listen to fitz being like no babe i swear i'm not drunk hell no there's no way i would you're Mm -hmm. a fuck boy and i would never talk to him again Mm -hmm. i would shove his ass in his room like she did too i love that she's like so forceful Yeah, and, and, like, like Fitz even says something like, I didn't realize how strong women can be when they're angry. And I'm like, yes, I love this. <laughs> shove his ass, Molly. Show him who's the boss. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, I really like the framing you had of this as, like, an issue of, like, pride. Where it's, like, Fitz, like, because I think it's an aspect because we've talked about Fitz being, like, really selfish before but like the the part the pride part is one that we've hadn't like talked about i feel like where it's like he's like i don't want people to like see me as weak and i want to be like the which in some part is like ingrained in him by by like shade and like burge and stuff where it's like you can't show weakness in front of regal and like if if something happens in the castle it's going to make its way back up to regal but it's also just like on a personal level he's just like so much of his self-image is dependent on him being strong and young Mm -hmm. ironically um but yeah, one thing I also found interesting is, like, um, there's also, like, this element of, like, Molly's pride, where she was, like, hey, I don't, like, I, I thought that I would need, like, something to offer you for, like, because I, because I just have this trade, but I don't have a business. So, I, like, I didn't want to, like, bring this to you until, like, I had some, a business or, like, something I can offer to you of my own. And it's sort of this thing as, like, both of them, if they'd just been, like, honest with each other and hadn't been had just assumed that their love for each other was regardless of like status, wealth or health, they could have had like a much more like honest dialogue, but also like, I don't know how fair it is to assume. Cause like they hadn't even broached that topic at all. Like, yeah. Like, Fitz didn't even realize that she liked him back. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, Fitz has barely processed the fact that he liked her. Let's be real. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 It just shows like the, the maturity level between the two of them because like molly's a little bit older and she's just way more mature because patience like i think it's in the the last chapter or the next one where she's like um okay so if she has a trade but you marry her and you forfeit all your like rights as a royal are you just gonna sit and like live off of her what are you gonna offer her what are you gonna like she's listing out all these what ifs and like how are you gonna do this and Fitz is just like, what? Whereas <laughs> Molly's already thought about it. We're going to get married? Yeah. yeah Molly's like, like, like Fitz just doesn't like... think about the future. Because again, it's like the thing that's reinforced when Shade is like, did you really think that you could live two lives forever? And it's like, Fitz is like, I'm thinking day to day, motherfucker. The future? Huh? Yeah. Which is also like, already that's... living like a wolf. Living yeah. in the present. Ooh, that's a good like, cat, not but... mature enough to think about it. But Molly is older and little bit more like she's less naive so she knows like 
I'm coming to the table with this because that's what I should do. Well, I think also being a woman in this area, like in Buck and like the six duchies, she kind of has to think about these things because unlike like Bangtown, she doesn't really have, I think, as much authority over her own life as the men do in the six duchies. Yeah, okay. And the I guess the last thing I had here was like there's Molly's fortune telling where the actual fortune teller, she doesn't have the money for the actual fortune teller, but someone else is like, You're you'll be the daughter of the drunk, the wife of a drunk, and the mother of a drunk. And like I knew that the wife of a drunk part does come true because of Burrish. I just didn't remember if like any of like her children ended up as drunks to actually like complete the trifecta for the prophecy. I don't think so. Okay, cool. So. Not that I can remember. I don't remember specifically. I don't think so. Gotcha. And I feel like both Molly and Birch would have beat it out of their children. If they did find them drinking like that, they would not be very nice. I think they drink, but they aren't like yeah. drunks. It's like moderation. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like for a celebration, not I need to numb the pain that's in my soul. Molly breaks the cycle of family trauma. Go Molly. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I, I think I mentioned this in the live show as well, but rereading this series um, really makes me appreciate, like, Molly as a character and the role that Molly plays, like, thematically. Yeah. Um... Hey, do we have anything else for the chapter? I have a couple of things. Um, yes. And this also does kind of touch about Molly. Um, Patience says to Fitz, um, far better that I am cruel to you now than that Molly live a lifetime of casual cruelty. So I think that like Patience doesn't want Molly to live through what she had to experience in the court of Buckkeep. Because I feel like that's exactly like how it was for patients is making like people making little snide remarks around her or like just a lot of gossip and like cattiness happening to patients and she doesn't want molly to have to experience that as well yeah like we get to see like so much more depth of like patients and her history beyond because we see a lot of this like emotional depth in relation to like chivalry uh, earlier, but then here is like her own history and role in the court, I think is super cool. Um, though also that is from chapter four, that's from the next chapter. So, the, oh shit, I thought we were in chapter four. We Am were kind of like, I mean, I think the thing is like the patience, Molly, patience conversations kind of just like flow into each other from, oh, yeah, they do. We, we can just move it. We can just be like, yeah, okay, we're in chapter four dilemmas now. Cool. <laughs> Ooh. Nice. Um, There's one line um, about patience that made me really sad where uh, he says he's just being kind of a dick to her. Um, he says, like, I'm not. That's just his MO. Yeah, he's like, I'm yeah. not Chivalry's son, I'm his bastard. And she says, like, how do you think I could ever forget that? And 
this line says, I saw past her giddiness and distractibility into a soul capable of more pain and vaster regret than I had ever suspected. And it reminded me of what the fool says in the last book where he's like, the wrong word from you or touch from you and she'll shatter into... We'll send her to pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, Fitz, don't be mean to patients. She's like very sensitive and going through it. Well, I think I, I the way Fitz would have learned that lesson from last time, but like, no. Just lashing out like a teenager does. It's well, annoying. also, I don't think that he realizes how his words are going to affect her. Like, I think he's calling himself a bastard to like hurt himself, but he doesn't yeah. understand that it's also going to be a blow, possibly even bigger to patients because that's not her true son. Also, to be yeah. fair, he does like kind of take jabs at patients because like last book there's a thing where he's like i don't have a name and he's like i took vindictive satisfaction at like the stricken look that came across her face and it's just like leading up to this chapter too burritch shade and verity have all said things to be to remind him like you're a bastard you're not yeah so then so he's he's in that mindset already parroting what these other people keep telling these him. adults all the adults in his life yep. mm-hmm. and then he just says it to like the one person that doesn't think of him that way yeah, like, who like, has she, always tried to get him treated as the prince of like his blood i think this is the first time she even explicitly says it to him because like we know that's what she's been doing but she's like i've been working so hard to like get you seen as a, a prince in this court and then the first thing you do is you act some so in such and such way yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, before the whole patience conversation, there's a little bit at the start where the fool comes in and like sets up some like food and tea for him. Um, and I I like the thing that you've noted, Alex. Where it's like I love when Fitz is open and honest because like yeah, that's what I was like noting last chapter where it's like Fitz is yeah. at his best when he is just being direct. And it's not even like, like, I feel like it's in these times that he doesn't even think about what he's saying. He just lets his words come out. And that's when they have the most meaning and affect the people around him the most. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I loved that he told, he's like saying, I've missed you to the fool. And then the fool is like, and like Fitz enjoys the shocked look that the fool gets from that. And I'm just like, oh, this is so cute and sweet. And I love it. And I also love the fool is like I feel like it's like it was like does that explain why you've been playing the fool yourself so much? And it's yeah, just like, aha, aha. I, every Take time there's like some sort of like fits fool duality thing, I'm just like like locking into that. Um. Oh, yeah, and there's also like the fool for the first like mentions like hey you should go check out King Shrewd. Uh, first mention of that, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I guess, like, hopping back to, like, the patient's conversation. Um, this is the first uh, mention of the line, one horse cannot bear two saddles, however much he may wish to, which is Birch's line that he that he had told patients when he ended up rejecting her for his role as a king's man. Oh. Which, like... Dang. Yeah. I like that the three of them, like, patients chivalry and Burrich all kind of share their sayings amongst each other 
And then they just go saying them to Fitz and then Fitz repeats them to somebody else. And they're like, what? How do you know that? God. Because, like, they just kind of drop them. And I feel like each of them doesn't realize how much impact or how, like, how, how much these words stick with other people. So when they find out that they've remembered it and repeated it to Fitz, they're like, holy shit. Yeah. It adds a new meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh yeah, and getting back around to like what Fitz has in terms of prospects to offer, I think it, it comes back because every time with patience, patience makes him see that like, yo, like not even out of like cruelty, she's just like, yo, what are you doing with your life? And then Fitz has to be like, what am I other than an assassin? And unfortunately, he doesn't get like the chance to explore that like at all. But yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I think if Patience had more Im- impact in his life, Patience, oh, well, and Lacey, Lacey's like the organized one, they could have like set him up to like find out who he wants to actually be in life. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Shade like doesn't let that be an option though. He even says, if you're not careful, Lacey will worm her way into her life and organize it for you, and you can't let that happen. Yeah. Like, assassins assassins need privacy fits yeah well i think it's just because he still views himself and fits as a tool like i don't think that he thinks either of them have their own lives to live still oh yeah he he, he literally says like you're bound all the same like i mean he, he like he basically says like yeah I, I chose this life but you're also you're even though it's not the same thing you don't have choices and you don't have like mobility essentially I wonder how differently Shade would feel about this if he was in the court life still. Like, do you think that he would be a little bit more lenient with Fitz about having, like, a marriage and, like, a little bit more of a life? Or do you think he would still be like, you gotta do this? I mean, from how he is in Tawny Man with, like, Nettle and stuff, I feel like like where he's like you you got to give up nettle for the good of the crown. Like if anything, he gets like more obsessive in like Tawny Man, and it's up to like Ketrickin to be like, whoa, bring it back there, cowboy. Like you, I know you've been doing what you think is best for the Farsir throne for so long, but like you got to learn some like flexibility. It's kind of weird how he is with Fitz and his daughter, and then to see like kind of what he does with his kids such a hypocrite because he expects Fitz to just give up his daughter to the throne but then he keeps his kids secret from the throne Mm -hmm. oh hold on i forgot shay has kids what (laughs) (laughs) that actually made me like really dislike shade a lot more the way he is in Fitz and the fool like with being such a hypocrite and like so easily sacrificing nettle and like expecting fits to sacrifice nettle but then not being being willing to do the same right and like coddling it's vigilant and shun who's just like horrible (laughs) like i have i don't love shade as much as a lot of people love shade yeah, yeah, I think, I think we start really to see the crap. less. Yeah. Yeah. The longer that we're with him, 
we see how flawed he is. Yes. I mean, I think we also get to see some, like, so definitely some of his flaws even in this trilogy, especially even in this chapter, where, like, the most dumbass thing I've I've read from Shade in this, it was in this chapter, where, like, me and Shrewd, we, like, miscalculated. Like, we, we were so eager for, like, the political benefits the wedding would bring, but we forgot there'd be a woman here in the court day after day. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm sitting there reading this, like, motherfucker, what? Um, she's a person. She's a queen. <laughs> also, like, he sends um, Fitzvigilant in to, like, spy on B when B's a baby. And Fitz just, like, loses his mind. And gets really mad. But, like, if someone did that to Shun, Shade would kill them. 100%. There is no doubt. He's such a hypocrite. He's, like, Burrich-level hypocrite. Yeah. Or even worse, I feel. Yeah, worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, If there's a a consistent lesson that Fitz learns from his father figures, hypocrisy. Yes. (laughs) Definitely. Um, um, I need to leave very shortly. So, um, my only other notes are about night eyes. I don't know if should we just save that for the next one. We can yeah, leave them all say, hanging. Yeah, we can. I don't mind just like saying my part and then ducking if you guys want to finish it or if we. No, I no, feel no. like we're gonna talk about night eyes so much. We've got to just. <laughs> I think it's such yeah. a strong start. Like we can definitely start off. The next episode with this, and it's going to be like, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I have a birthday party, Halloween party to go to. No, that's totally fine. I think this is actually kind of perfect. Yeah. Leaving them on a little cliffhanger. Yeah. So, (laughs) I guess like I have one last note about Shade, which is like he's talking about this plan for like, uh, well, like right when Fitz comes in, he's like, "Yo, we could like make you look like chivalry. We could like maybe we could do a little bit of treason as a treat." And he's like, someone will come to you with this plan and think it's original. And at the very end, Duke Brondi does do that. Not in the same fashion, but it's like, yo, we could maybe do a little bit of treason as a treat. So, like, I like <laughs> yeah. that actually comes, comes back up. Um, he says, like, I could teach you how to walk like him. You already stand like him. Mm-hmm. I could teach you his catchphrases, which is funny to me that Chivalry has catchphrases. Mm-hmm. And, I, it's, and I feel like Fitch knows act- some of his catchphrases. Yeah, because of Already, patience. like, unintentionally, yeah. yeah. And patience, like, accidentally, she also corrects how he stands. He's like, you look like a stork, stand better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's making him into chivalry accidentally. Well, yeah. and also intentionally, but, like, yeah. It was interesting. One quick thing. I feel like the way that Fitz reacts to this, where he, like, sadly shakes his head and is like, no, like, we can't do that, is so different from, like the thoughts that he had before like in the first book when patience was like i try i'm trying to get you like or shade tells fitz that patience tried to get him recognized as like chivalry's heir and prince and like fitz got so excited and now he's just like that's not the life that i get to live mm-hmm. like he kind of knows he's grown and he knows that that's not what he's going to be i also don't think practically that Fitz would like that. I Definitely. think he doesn't realize how like 
little control they have in their lives. Charity and chivalry basically don't didn't have any more of a say over their lives than Fitz did. Mm. And they were in the public eye, which made it even worse. Even if he was like acknowledged, he what Fitz wants is like freedom and control over his own life. He wants to be a normal person. Yep, Mm. and he wouldn't. And that's not what royalty will give you. Yeah, I think lots of the interesting things is like as the series goes on and he gets some of that normalcy, seeing that it it imposes its own limits on him and like what that looks like. But yeah, okay. So thanks everyone for watching. Uh, This has been Strong Start to a New Book. I'm super hyped. Um, And next time we'll get to meet, I think, most people's favorite character, Night Eyes. so excited so again these episodes go up um mondays uh 12 p.m cdt though the exact time might be messed up because again i'll be uploading from india i'll try to make sure that the conversions and stuff work out but we'll see how that goes but yeah other than that thanks for watching and we'll see you next week bye bye